listening to a message from Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. If you'd like to know more about Red or its ministries, please go to redchurch.org.au. Well, we are in the series of Lent, like I said. We um, Actually, before I get into it, I just want to really mark uh, what happened just before with Family Communion. It's the, from my memory, it's the first time we've actually done it with all the kids. Uh, maybe I'm wrong about that, but... I really want to mark it. It was actually, it's, it's, I absolutely and utterly love it. Uh, part of what I love about Red is our passion for discipleship, uh, our passion for um, going, you know, out and training and showing people what it's like. Like, if you had to, I think I've got the reading from this week, if you read in Philippians, uh, it said, join, this is what Paul says, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And I love that because we're taking our kids and we're showing them an example of how to do communion or how to actually relate to God and commune with God. And I really have a lot of love and respect for uh, uh, Mark and Sarah and the AM pastors and Daniel, who is our who's a discipleship group, because they really push into what discipleship about in our ch- is about in our church. And, and a lot of the other leaders too, and especially Sue, who, who's really orchestrated what, what we did this morning. Uh, by just virtue, her title is Generations, which is, you know, we, this is not just about, she's not the kids leader, but she's the generations leader. She's, she's interested in seeing discipleship happen with our kids. And it, this is not just it ends when they finish Sunday school or, or kids church, or it ends when, you know, they come to church or whatever it is, but it is an ongoing process. So, and I love what Sue talks about in, uh, we often have this thing called partnering with parents that the parents go to, that discipling our kids is not something that we do as parents uh, and we just dumped them into the, the kids' church, and they look after the discipleship process or their relationship with Jesus. But there's, there's actually this responsibility, and I think it's the greater responsibility on us as parents to partake in that. So uh, I really appreciate that, and really, because of all this teaching we get here, Beth and I have really been trying, my wife Beth, have been really pushing into discipling our kids more. So in the last, what, six to 12 months, we've been, been actively even like stepping up what we're doing. Uh, and I'm absolutely loving it. Praying with my daughter today was, uh, has been a real highlight, a really, something very joyful about it. And we've been, uh, we've been practicing things with our kids. So we've, uh, we, like, we have this thing about win the day here at Red where we want to get up and spend time with God. And it's easy for us to just go, hey, kids, get up and go spend time with God before you, you get dressed or have breakfast or get ready for school. And it's kind of like, cool. And the kids will go, well, I'll just go and spend time with God. But what does that mean? What do they do? So what we've been doing, we've been sitting down with them and actually winning the day together. And we'll sit there, okay. I sat down with Georgia and I said, let's, what we're going to do, let's put everything aside. Actually, we're just going to sit and listen to God for five minutes. It's going to be a long five minutes. Right? You're going to be distracted. We're teaching them what it's going to be like. And it was, it was wonderful. And like, you might not hear anything. And we sat for five minutes. And like, I'm saying, Georgie, this is what I heard. And she's listening to God and said, I didn't hear anything. I said, fantastic. That's okay. Right? But it's about training. And I love it. So we're, we've decided that over dinner, all our dinners, we've been reading through Proverbs. We desperately want our kids to know, uh, be shaped and formed by the biblical patterns of wisdom that are in the Bible. And man, I'm loving it. I'm learning more than I think the kids are because it's like, I feel like I haven't read Proverbs into this depth in years. Sorry, I'm flicking around. Um, And I'm loving it. So again, we'll read Proverbs and we'll sit there and I'll say, so what are you hearing? What are you hearing from God? And I love the insights that come out of my kids. They're saying, actually, I'm hearing this or I'm hearing that. 
and I'm absolutely, like, I can't tell you how much I'm enjoying it. That, and so what happened this morning, I just wanted to really mark that because there was something special about just part of the process of us taking our kids, right, and showing them, and it's not just the parents, but all of you, right? I, in, our, in my discipleship group, there's a lot of PM guys who are actually discipling my girls as well, and I can't get enough of it. So... I just wanted to point that out before I get into it. But if you want to talk about Lent, we were doing the same thing with our kids at Lent. So we've, uh, when Lent kicked off, we sat down and we went through the, the red web page and said, okay, let's read through this before we start. And as we read it, what do you think God is saying to you? So we read through it and the kids were sitting there quietly and I finished it and I said, okay, so what do you think? And my wife said, what I love about what I'm hearing is that that Easter is just not another day on the calendar, but we have Easter eggs and then we just get on with life. But Lent is that build-up, it's that preparation, it's that let's, let's actually, uh, you know, let's look at what Christ has done, let's not let it go and just be a, a passing thing, but we, 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 you know, integrate it into our lives. And then I asked my daughter, Alex, and she goes, oh, I'm really, you know, hearing all this stuff about self-denial and, you know, giving up and, you know, what I want to give up. And she's given up sugar, which, which I'm so glad she has. And um, she's like, uh, she loves, you know, bubble tea. Does anyone know what bubble tea is? We were obsessed with, thank Terry knows because she, she bought some with me the other day. But uh, my kids are obsessed with bubble tea. Alex is. So anyway, loves sugar. So she's given up sugar, but she's talking about self-denial and how hard it's going to be and all this difficulty. And then I come to my daughter, Georgia, who's always my surprise package. I'm saying, what did you hear? And she's like, you're talking about self-denial. What's all, what is this stuff? What I heard, I heard the word celebration. I'm like, I didn't say celebration. I read through it again. I said, ah, oh, there's all this stuff about fasting. There's all this stuff, it's a bit hard to see. It's about the set readings and, you know, Lent's about Jesus and maybe fasting and praying and locking ourselves. Like, there was nothing celebration. And my daughter said, no, 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 no. I heard God tell me the word celebration. It stood out. So I go back and I read over again. It says nothing there. And she goes, Dad, I'm telling you. I'm telling you. I said, Alex, self-denial, once you think about self-denial, give something up. She's not the kind of girl to give something up. And I'm like, why don't you look at it? I'm trying to focus her in that direction. She goes, no, Dad, I heard celebration. So I read it again, right at the top, which I missed. Easter 2019. To prepare for Easter as a church community, we'll be celebrating Lent. Totally missed it. I just, just sort of breezed past it. And it's funny, I've got one hand, I've got this daughter, you know, self-denial, giving up. And on the other hand, I've got this daughter who's just like, let's celebrate. And I love it. And that idea of Lent, giving up something, it is actually kind of something that's a little bit unnatural. It's not something we consider to be a celebration. If you think about giving something up, something from uh, the world's point of view, sure, you might want to give up some food because you want to lose weight. Maybe you want to watch less TV because, you know, you want to just be more productive and not waste time in front of the TV. Maybe you're going to do less shopping, maybe because you want to save money for something. But to give up something, and especially here at Red, we actually uh, don't encourage you to give up something that's not good for you. You, could, you should probably be doing that anyway. But sometimes we actually encourage you to give up something that's good so that Jesus can fill those areas and you can seek holiness but to the rest of the world, that's sort of a strange thing. And we do Lent for, like Ryan said, maybe 40, just over 40 days, just over a month, just this little, little slab of the year. And for a lot of people I've been talking to, it's actually been quite hard, giving something up. And talking to the people, talking to them about um, self-denial or sacrifice or giving something up, 
Like, we're not used to, in our culture, something that costs. And it got me thinking ever since the start of Lent and talking to my daughters, uh, why do we find it so hard, especially, especially with like, prayer and fasting, like even giving up an hour maybe, is, is, it seems for a lot of people quite a long time to pray, and that's a bit of a sacrifice. Because it, it, I'm wondering why it's so hard when it's something that was regularly done in the Bible as I read it. So I asked this question, why? And with that mindset in the back of my mind, I was preparing this message. And again, thinking about why this whole self-denial thing is so hard. While this is happening, there was a moment this week for me where I felt like God was speaking to me. And he was speaking through something that someone else was saying. And it really stirred my heart. And actually, it stirred the hearts, I believe, of all the other people that were in the room that were listening to this. And this is what God said to me. He said to me, are you too comfortable, Bjorn? I was thinking about it. Am I, am I too comfortable? Is that why I find fasting hard? Or? And I thought, maybe it's a bit harsh, God. Like, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to have a go at him. <laughs> but sometimes I do, I'll be honest. And I thought, it's a bit harsh. I've worked pretty hard. I've, I've given up a lot of, like, financial and sort of my life to do church ministry. I work six days a week because I have another job as well. Um, you know, I run a discipleship group. I'm doing all this. I'm doing Lent. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm preaching. I'm doing all this stuff. And there's a whole lot of things I could rattle off. And then God came back to me. He didn't ask me the question anymore. He said this. <laughs> because I'm not asking anymore, Bjorn. I know I'm telling you. He said, you are too comfortable. I'm like, oh. And I want to contend that I agree with this, that we are too comfortable in our faith. And some of us who are fasting in the season, if you are, there'll be moments when we feel uncomfortable, really uncomfortable. But I believe God is stirring something up in us. Something about how comfortable we are, especially here in the West. Because I was, uh, I don't know how it happens, but I don't know, maybe Terry knows this, but there's, that, there's a magazine we get at the church called Barnabas Aid. Does anyone know what, has anyone heard of the Barnabas Aid? Yep, some people have. Uh, I don't know if it gets delivered to us and Terry just chucks on the table uh, so, and people pick it up and I was picking it up and reading it. And uh, Barnabas Aid essentially is a magazine that is put out by a group, I think it's called the Barnabas Fund, where they give money and support and prayer support as well to those in in, in cultures, like not Western cultures, where they're persecuted and they're under immense pressure. And you read through this magazine and, man, the stories you hear uh, of people in those areas, it's, it's incredible. And the one that I, that I just picked up recently and read, there were some stories here that I read about that in China, where the Christians are living, that they are regularly arrested in their house churches or their, their hidden unchurched. Like there was the article about 130 Christians arrested and now locked up in jail because of their faith. And, there, and it was saying that there is this, so there is a state-sanctioned Christian church. It sounds awesome. It's, uh, if it's state-sanctioned by the China, it's not necessarily a good thing because part of their uh, rules of, of, of being a Christian is that you're not allowed to display anywhere or talk about the first of the Ten Commandments, that you shall have no other God but me. Sure, you can have your church, but you can't have this, 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 and this. It's very controlled. It's quite intense. Same, in the same magazine, there were two Christians in uh, Pakistan who in December were sentenced to death 
for blasphemy because they just, you know, they just posted something or said something on a social media website. Or in Libya, it was heartbreaking to see that there were 34, there was a grave of 34 Ethiopian Christians that were executed that they had discovered. And that, three stories in this, there was a heaps of stories in this magazine that was talking about what was going on outside of the West. And in the back of my head, I'm hearing these words that Jesus is saying, blessed are the persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I look at my life and I look at what's going over there and I really don't see a comfortable version of Christianity. You following? I don't see a comfortable version of Christianity in those places. But here, God is saying to me, you're too comfortable. And I'm thinking about it. I'm like, why? And I'm reading through these Lent readings this week. And again, come back to Paul's, Paul's letter to the Philippians. And he says this, if you've read this this week. He says, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, just as you have us as a model. Keep your eyes on those who live as we do. And if you know about Paul, that if he's like he talks about, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And if you know the life that Paul lived, it wasn't a life of comfort. It was not comfortable at all. In fact, he died in a prison being beheaded with all that. And I often talk about the stuff that Paul went through. And if he's imitating Christ, you know the stuff that Christ has gone through that we're talking about. There's not an idea of this comfortable life for these people. But he says, and he's so passionate about it, I love it. For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, and he's writing this. Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is in their stomach. I think that's funny because of what's happening with fasting and Lent. God is in their stomach and their, go- and their glory is there. Is, so the glory is in their shame. Why? Because their mind is set on earthly things. I want to contend this morning that we are comfortable because here in the West, especially here in Melbourne, our minds are set on earthly things. And, and, and I really want you to hear what I'm saying here. I believe, this is what I believe, this is what God has been talking to me about this week. There is a subtle undertone that isn't spoken about, but it's a narrative in our culture. And this is what it is. It's that we think that following Jesus should be comfortable. Say it again. It's that we think that following Jesus should be comfortable. And I believe it's actually part of it, and I wanted to discuss this, that we, we live in the shadow of what was cultural Christianity here in Australia. I'm gonna, let me unpack what that, that means for you. And I'm going to be looking, I'm going to full Mark says today. I'm going to look at Christian history. I love it. I've been reading his stuff. I get so excited about it. I love when Mark talks about it. But if you've been about read, um, there are going to be, so these graphs are going to be quite familiar with you, that there's this perception ever since Jesus died and was resurrected and ascended and as time has gone by until now that there has been this steady rise of Christianity throughout time and then maybe at some stage during the age of enlightenment uh, where Descartes says I think for there I am and all this stuff happened there was a shift that slowly resulted in the decline of Christianity um, in the west and then with postmodernism and secularism especially nowadays uh, on the rise Christianity nowadays is pretty much dramatically dropped. And the perception is that we're left with this dying religion that if you look to the person who's on your left and right, they're an endangered species. However, that this idea that Christianity was doing well and now it's not and it's about to go, 
I think it's a false narrative, but rather history, as followers of Jesus, actually looked more like this. That there's a rise of Christianity, and then there's oppression, and then there's a rise, and there's oppression. There's a rise and oppression. It just hasn't been any steady rise, but it's been up and down, and it comes and goes. And as, as, as Christianity flourishes, it comes up. And as it's oppressed and the culture comes in, it, it gets crushed down. And when we're in these low points here, and Christianity is oppressed, like it feels like it is now, you're right. God brings people out who are willing to fight and contend for the faith as he brings about renewal again. That's what he's looking for. What happens in this cycle is that when Christianity is oppressed, and I was reading, yeah, I was reading about, you know, when in a book by Dan and Sarah about uh, the unsaved Christian, which is a commentary on cultural Christianity, and he talks about when, uh, when, when there is serious oppression, those who are just normal in their faith, they just start to disappear. It says that when we get to these points in history, there are those that get on their knees and they push into the kingdom, and often at great cost. If, you've ever, if you listen to Mark's podcast, uh, Mark and John Mark Homer's podcast, This Cultural Moment, uh, incredible podcast. I expect you, uh, expect, and I do expect you to listen to it, if you remember here at Red. No, I would encourage you to listen to it. Uh, Mark talks a lot about this, this history stuff in his last, one, last uh, podcast. And if you think about it, in the, in the, he talks about in the Dark Ages when the Roman Empire fell and um, culture fell and it was just a, a crisis, there was political crisis, warlords were, were, were coming up, factions were forming, uh, and the world is a mess. There was this monk called Benedict who walked a different line to the rest of the world. And he didn't have, as Paul would say, he didn't have his eyes set on earthly things. And, but instead, he had these patterns of prayer and these patterns of uh, meeting together. And he actually had patterns of manual labor as well. That was part of it. Uh, but it was part of this. Benedict had this, this revival that came out of that. The funny thing is, Benedict actually never saw this revival happen. He was just at the start of it. And he was put, they were put under immense political pressure. There was financial pressure. I was, I was reading, like, that this revival saw them attacked by Vikings. We don't have that. We don't have that here nowadays, attacked by Vikings. But back then, that was part of the pressure there was. I used to play for a team called the Vikings. Completely different thing. It's, this, is, this is serious Vikings with Bjorn. Yes, Viking Bjorn. Uh, beards, everything. This is, this is what was happening back then. But you can look, picture that. That is not a comfortable time. There was a cost of being a disciple back then. And revival happens, it's exciting. But the danger is that Christianity often gets thrust into the political arena. Uh, it becomes part and parcel of the culture. The churches become the center of, uh, become the center of the town, and it's all about the church. And those who sort of don't adhere to the faith are sort of pushed to the outer. And then what happens is, without persecution, without the suffering, they all get lulled into this comfortable faith where the revivalists in that oppression time, they're desperately on their knees seeking Jesus. In cultural Christianity, really, the only desperation is there's a need to fill a church basketball team. We've got to ring around. We've got to get someone. That's what our faith is about. And I'm not saying those things are bad, but there's a shift about what really costs so in most recent times, the rise of Christianity in the West, which is not long before us now, Christianity again became a popular and comfortable religion. 
even though we are living in a time where Christianity feels oppressed, I want to hear this, there is still an after effect, after effect of this Western cultural Christianity becoming or being a comfortable religion. And I grew up in part of cultural Christianity and it was just, there was no sacrifice. There was no cost. But even though we're no longer in the cultural Christianity time, we're more in a time of oppression, there's this influence that is still, I feel, lingering around that permeates our churches. And I really feel that we're still comfortable. Francis Chan says this. It's true that God may have called you to be exactly where you are, and I absolutely believe that God has called you to be exactly where you are. But it's absolutely vital to grasp that he didn't call you there so you could settle in and, you'll live, and live your life in a comfortable and superficial peace. That's why I believe God is asking us this morning, are we too comfortable? Do you feel it? I'm, I'm asking you, are you too comfortable? I want to make it clear that I think that, I actually believe this, that the idea of having a comfortable faith and following Jesus, they're actually incompatible. And so much of me wants to soften this message, play it down, give it, an, give it like an easy option, make it just invitational. You know, you, you can, if you want, be a part of it. But I really believe that I love you enough that I'll be doing you a disservice if I did soften it. Because I read through my Bible, I read through the New Testament, I read through what Jesus talks about, I read what Paul talks about. And I believe that Jesus teaches a life that, is, that if we follow him is inherently uncomfortable. To be a disciple of Jesus is to deny oneself, it says in Matthew. To take up a cross, it says in Luke. To be subject to persecution, it says in John and Timothy and in the Beatitudes. To give up the creature comforts of home, it says in Luke. To forsake the priority of family, again it says in Luke. It's an interesting one, to forsake the priority of family. To be willing to give up all material possessions, it says in Matthew and Luke. To be crucified with Christ, as it says in my favorite book, Galatians. And I could go on and on and on with this. And I don't read anything in the Bible that talks about being comfortable. Comforted, yes. Don't hear me say that there's not comfort, especially in times of difficulty. The Bible talks about this. Comforted those who are mourn, it says in the Beatitudes. If anything, the Bible encourages us to step out of our comfort zone and trust in him. C.S. Lewis says this. I didn't go in religion to make me happy. I always knew a bottle of port would do that. If you want a religion that makes you feel really comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. I think it's why Paul, when he speaks with tears in his eyes, he says their minds are set on earthly things. I actually think he's talking about us. How are you feeling? I should smile more when I'm talking about this heavy stuff. Because <laughs> I don't want you to feel miserable. And if you left now, I think you'd feel miserable. I want to go on. I really actually want to reframe this for you. Just as my daughter reframed for me what Lent is, that there's a celebration to be had. Being uncomfortable, actually, it isn't a bad thing. Bonhoeffer, when he talks about, uh, in his book, there's a cost to being a disciple, 
he's not saying it's a bad thing. And, I, and you ask why? Well, if I look at what's promised in the Bible, if we move out of comfort into costly discipleship, well, what does he talk about? He talks about, well, actually, in a cost of discipleship, well, there's, there's a peace that surpasses all understanding. There's a, a joy in all circumstances. Uh, there's being set free in Galatians. It says, why? I've set you free so you can be free, right? I, in, in John 10, it says, you know, I've given you life. Why? So you can have life, not just life, but life to its fullest. Like God, God is actually giving you something, but he says there's a cost. Sometimes I think that in our comfortable world that, uh, that we've got this limited idea that Jesus wants to take us from, let's say here, which is where we are in our maybe anxiety or depression or broken relationships, um, maybe our parent issues or whatever it is here. And we say, Jesus, just, just to make me normal. Jesus, I, ju- I just want to get away from this and I just want to have a normal life. But I think we do Jesus a disservice. Actually, I think, he, I think he says, no, I don't want you to just go to here. I want you all the way over here. I want you to have that fullness of life. I want you to have that peace. I want, to have you, want you to have that joy. I want you to have that excitement. That was, and he's not saying it's easy. He actually says there's a cost to it. We talk about here that God's imagination is much bigger than ours. I, I think that we don't dream big enough about what God can do in his scripture that he talks about. But to get what's an offer, there's a cost, but it's a joyful cost. And here's the paradox. It's one of my favorite sayings I've been using a lot recently. That the cost of discipleship to Christ is high. I'm not denying that. And I'm never going to say that it isn't. And some of you actually feel this. My wife, who's in the middle of of Lent, I mean, we're all in the middle of Lent, but she's fasting at the moment from coffee. Whoa. So much respect for her. Now, I don't know if it was the coffee or not, but she was violently ill for two days when Lent started. So, I don't know. She, the, the kids were sick as well, so I'm going to give her a bit of leeway on that. But she said to me, the cost of it is high. But if I was to... But there's something about fasting, she said, that releases a power, that releases a holiness. That's why Jesus said it's through prayer and fasting that only this demon can come out. That Jesus could go to the cross. Why? Because well before, he spent 40 days in the wilderness fasting. There's power in that. There's, there's, there's an incredible release in that. And so when the, the saying is the cost of the discipleship to Christ is high, but the cost of non-discipleship is actually higher. It's almost like the cost of being a disciple is the easier option. That actually choosing comfort, choosing to you know, actually not push into this, to maybe you know, not, not, not bear the cost or count the cost. Actually, the cost is actually higher. It's a paradox. There's a book by, his name is James Brian Smith, who's a mentor of Dallas Willard, who talks about, I don't know if you can read that, but I'll read it for you. He says this, the idea that following Jesus' teaching will lead to a boring life is one of the most effective narratives employed by the enemy of our souls. Satan and his minions know all too well that real joy is found only in obeying Jesus, that real joy, that joy that is over here that Christ wants you to have, is only in obeying Jesus' commands. But with a twist here and there, and I'm talking about our Western culture there, and with the help of well-meaning, misguided religious folk, ouch, 
the Christian life can be portrayed as a holy bummer. He's a modern writer, just so you know, he's not some 50s century something writer, but he's a holy bummer. The devil wants people to fear the high cost of discipleship, but in reality, the cost of non-discipleship is much higher. Here's on. The question is not, what will I have to give up to follow Jesus? But rather, what will I never get to experience if I choose not to follow Jesus? The answer is clear. We'll forfeit the chance to live a good and beautiful life. You see, Jesus, Jesus knew the cost of what he was doing. By becoming a human by giving up his cross. And our readings this week in Luke, I don't know if you read this, it's a bit of a strange passage, but it says in Luke 13, at that time some Pharisees came up to Jesus. Interesting, Pharisees came up to him and said, leave this place, go somewhere else, Herod wants to kill you. In a comfortable world, the idea is, actually, someone is after me, a powerful, powerful person, Herod. The best thing would be to be comfortable is to just hide, be safe, not... You know, make a big deal. Herod's worried because Jesus is gathering these followers and upsetting the status quo. But Jesus is not interested in comfort. This is what he says. He replied, go tell that fox. I mean, he's upsetting him just by saying that, if you think he's not helping his cause. But go tell that fox. What is he going to do? Is he going to run a hide? No. I will keep on driving out demons, and I'll keep on healing people today and tomorrow And on the third day, I'll reach my goal. He's not stopping. He knew what was ahead of him, even in that moment, that what he was doing would lead to his death on the cross. He knew the cost. He didn't have his eyes set on earthly things. Rather, he submitted himself to the Father's will, that he is the submitted king. The season of Lent, if you are fasting... My prayer is that you feel uncomfortable. I don't think I've ever prayed that prayer before, that for people to be uncomfortable. My prayer is that we'd know the pains and the pangs of denying yourself something good. My prayer that this would be a precursor, that fast would be a precursor to you knowing joy and peace, freedom and life. And I hope that you would actually see this as a celebration of self-denial. As you move from comfortable to costly discipleship. And here's the thing. Here's the kicker that, I, that keeps ringing around in my head. For all this talk about what we get out of a, living a costly discipleship to Jesus, the funny thing is it's actually not about us. This idea of having freedom, peace, and joy as I read the New Testament, this life and life to the fullest, I actually see that as just as given as being a, as a follower of Christ. That that is, that is just, you know, it's almost like, you know, that's the byproduct of what we get as, as giving up and following Jesus and not being comfortable. But the good life is not the goal. It's not about us. But what this is really about, this is about God's kingdom coming, that when we are oppressed, that he's doing a new thing. That he's doing a, revi- a revival, that, that all this stuff about self-denial, this is about releasing power that the kingdom uses. Not about us. That's just, that's the good stuff that happens. Like it's awesome that we have a fullness of life, that God wants us to be there, but this is about his kingdom coming. 
that people would know him and be in relationship with him. And in this cultural moment where Christianity is oppressed, God is looking for those who is going to count the cost of following him. And he wants you to celebrate it. I'll give you one last story, which I always find a fascinating story when I hear it. Maybe four or five years ago, Mark, I think he was reading through the Barnabas Aid as well. It's been out for a long time. And he told uh, this story at the end of his message about these, this church in China, incredible persecution, uh, and one of the, the pastors had come back for a bit of respite uh, back to, uh, I don't know, I think it was to, to Australia. And he was up at a church and he was just sharing and he was asking questions and he was telling about... Um, just how tough it is that people arrested, people had been killed, and it's just there's persecution left, right, and center in his congregation in China. And he invited questions, and people asking questions is what it's like, is it great to be home, yada, yada. And one guy comes up and says, I just want to let you know. I really want to let you know that we have been praying for the persecution to stop. And his pastor, he said, He said, please stop praying. He said, please stop praying that the persecution will stop. Because persecution is making our church grow. Here's a man who's not comfortable. He knows the high cost of discipleship. And he's pushing into it. And there's revivals happening. There's renewal happening in China. That even though in the West we are living a comfortable Christianity... There are spurts of Jesus rising up around in China and Iran and places like that. So I ask you this morning, what if we were people who no longer lived in the shadow of cultural Christianity, which, which, which looks like this comfortable life that, that looks to the earth, earthly things of this world? What if we are a people who are willing to celebrate our discomforts or celebrate our persecution so that we can get more of God? What if we're willing to pay the cost of being a disciple? What if God is bringing about a renewal here in the West and he wants you to be a part of that? Who here in this room is going to stand up, take their eyes off the things of this earth and fight and contend for the kingdom of God. The band's going to come. I'm going to pray. Father, I want to ask for a celebration in this season. A celebration that is not about us, but a celebration is about your kingdom and your call for us to take up the cross, to deny oneself, to to do all these things that that seem from a worldly point of view too hard, but actually bring life. I pray for us who... No, Holy Spirit, I want to ask right now that if you are speaking to us, that you would minister minister to us right now. That... If you were in this room and your heart is beating because you know that when God asks you that question, are you too comfortable, you have no other answer but yes, I am. 
then I'm going to ask that the Spirit ministers to you right now. Come Holy Spirit. My invitation, and I'm using the word invitation, I know, is that if there is a sense that you feel too comfortable in your faith here, we've done communion. The invitation is there's space down the front. And I don't know what the Spirit is doing in there. Maybe He's doing something. Maybe He's waiting for later. I don't know. But if there's a sense that, that you want to respond to what God is doing, I invite you to come down to the front and get on your knees as people have done in many times of oppression and begged desperately. I'm desperate for you as we sang before. But I want you to come down and as you sit down or kneel, I want you to have, hear God asking the question, are you comfortable? And I want you to answer Him. That there is a cost of discipleship, but it's such a joyful thing. It's such a wonderful thing. It's such a, a thing that God, God gives us is life and life to its fullest. But there is a cost. I'm not going to deny that. But if God is stirring in you, the invitation is to come down and people will pray for you. So Holy Spirit, right now, my prayer is that you would make us uncomfortable especially in this Lent season, and that we would know the power that comes from being a disciple of you. I thank you for what you've done on the cross. I thank you that you give us the example as a king that doesn't just rule and reign, but he submits as well and submits knowing there's a cost. That loving us is a cost because we may not love you back. But you are the example. You are the the. the the rabbi that shows us and teaches us and trains us that we would be like you. Show us how to submit to you this morning. But the invitation is there. If that's for you, come down and pray. Come down and seek God as we worship.